Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon. Wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, and indeed a happy new year, uh, wherever or whenever you join the podcast today from. This is our refer- first recording of 2024, and indeed, my first recording in probably three months or so. We we bulk recorded a load of episodes in autumn 23 to see us through to the end of the year so that we could turn our attention to Event Tech Live, of course, in London um, in November and all of the stuff that goes along with that. So um, it's good to be back behind the mic and uh, indeed it's good to remember how to actually plug all the stuff in. Uh, as I was saying to my guest off air just before we started recording today, there, there were a few moments there this morning where I'm thinking, why is, why is that not working? Because all the stuff's been buried in a, in a flight case for the last three months but it's great to be back and um and we're going to be recording uh today uh this is the first week in january we're recording this on the 5th of january and next week um we've got another half a dozen or so recordings so throughout january and early february going to be recording plenty of episodes to make sure that there's uh, a podcast a week coming to you certainly up until the end of spring as we approach event tech live then in las vegas again for the second time um and the 2024 edition so a very happy new year, as I said, and on with today's um, episode. And we kick off 2024 by talking about data. Um, I was saying to my guest as well, off air, you know, at first, sort of the first mention of that, a lot of people, oh no, data again. But it, it is so critical. And I was just saying that even down to things like, you know, something as simple as AV and planning theatres, it shows now, you look at the historical data and we look to see how many people were sat there last year, how much equipment do we actually need in any given area. So it, it does affect every single aspect of our planning as event organisers. And um, we're going to be diving into that in a little bit more detail with our guest today. We welcome, for the first time to the podcast, Emily Clark. Emily is the Head of Audience Development at Informatech. Emily, a very warm welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Good morning. Um, as as I was just saying there, um, before we introduce you, it, you know, data now boils down to you know really every element of of the planning, the delivery, and the and the, the execution of an event. Um, before we sort of dive in in a little bit more detail to some of the stuff that that we're, we're going to talk about today, give us a little bit of a, a background. I said that you were head of audience development at Informa. Um, give us a, a sort of a brief background into your own career and and what you actually do now for Informa. Absolutely. So um, I've definitely had a bit of a career journey throughout the events industry over the last couple of years. So started out in marketing. um, So very much looking at the digital marketing side of things. This is before I joined um, Informa. So very much looking at SEO, PPC. So really the beginning of utilizing data in our digital footprint um, in marketing. From that, I joined what was then UBM, uh, United Business Media, which some of you that have been in the events industry for a while may remember UBM, um, Mm. and that then got acquired by Informer. So at UBM, I was a marketing analyst, so taking that digital marketing background and really starting to utilize that data to understand how we can use it to really improve and make our marketing campaigns more effective, really deep diving into the audience data and feeding that back to the event organizers as well which was quite a new thing back then, using the data to really help forge the direction of, a, mm. of an event and how it was going to evolve and move forward. And then when UBM became Informer, um, that obviously um, brought along with it some data and technology challenges in terms of how we integrate both quite large companies into one. So how are we sure. 
moving our data into a single place? How are we making it consistent across the business? How are we aligning our technologies so that things move more seamlessly? And that was really my first foray into sort of data and digital transformation um, from that marketing background. So it was quite a big sidestep, but one that I definitely don't regret. I think it was a, a great career move and it really helped me forge a path for these last four years into what is now audience development. So mm. Informa um, is still a growing company. You know, we're still um, growing in terms of acquisition and in terms of our events. So those challenges are still present in terms of how we bring all our data and technology together. But we are in a much more stable place now where we can really start utilizing that data in a meaningful way. And mm. a large part of audience development, which is the project I now work on, is how are we upskilling the business in utilizing this new data and technical capability that we have? So we've done all the heavy lift in the back end around bringing our data together and um bringing our technology onto single platforms, but it's really now how do we educate and upskill the rest of the business to utilize that capability? So one of the analogies we use is, um, you know, we had all this old technology and quite sparse data sources, and we call that the Ford, if you take the car analogy, and people are still driving the new Ferrari that they've now got like they would a Ford. So it's how cool. we drive that Ferrari and, and really make the most of everything that we've now got. So it's been a journey, definitely, starting in that marketing area, moving into data transformation, and now it's now it's bringing that back to the people, if you like. We've done all the heavy lifting in the back end, and we're now back up front to, to really make the most of the work we've done. And interestingly for me, when you talk about that journey and going back to, to uh, starting it out in marketing, um, yeah. it, I, I, I don't know if you, you agree with this, but, but I've, I've always felt that really – the marketing side of things, and particularly you know social media and, and digital marketing, it, it is really. Uh, do you think that having that background has actually helped you in understanding wider data related to the events that Informer operate? Because when I look at something like Facebook, for example, it was one of the earliest examples where I can see that we had meaningful data insights based on interactions based on how many people shared a particular piece of content you know uh, even before we really sort of started looking at registration data and things like that social media marketing really gave us our first sort of meaningful data to look at how our audience were responding to things yeah I definitely think it helped I think first and foremost it helps because of the empathy that I have so mm. Having worked across sort of different teams, a lot of people come from very much a data background or a technology background, and that's incredible. They've got all this knowledge of, um, of data and technology that they've built up over years, but they haven't worked on an event and they haven't worked in the marketing team. So they're not necessarily acutely aware of the challenges that face our marketers or our events organizers every day. So I think having worked in the trenches, as it were, it really allows me to communicate the benefits of utilizing the data and technology we have while also having mm. an empathy with with the challenges that the teams um confront but i think having the digital marketing background has really allowed us to stay at the forefront of that or at least make sure that as a business we're staying at the forefront of that so making sure that we're utilizing data to inform our marketing campaigns understand audience behavior use that to customize and personalize you know, that was something we were doing back in, gosh, 2017, 18. Mm -hmm. um, and while that may be lagging behind other industries, I think for the event industry at the time, it was definitely a newer approach, moving away from that kind of batch and blast volume play sure. and moving towards a more intelligent approach to, to marketing. And I think 
one of the key findings that we had is that the health and the quality of the data is far more important than sometimes people recognize you're willing to contemplate because once you realize that your data necessarily isn't in the best state you've then got to commit to quite a long process of cleaning that data and making sure it's of high enough quality to give you what you need um mm. luckily as a business we we did recognize that and we've made great strides in, in improving that and now like i said we're at a point where we're really stable in, in in what we've got and the data ecosystem that we have and we can now see the benefits of that but it's taken a couple of years to get there Sure. Um, and obviously with COVID in between, that brought its own challenges because, um, you know, so did, 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 did it help from a data capture point of view, if you, if you, if you don't mind me just cutting in there? That, yeah. Because so much more of the event industry moved to a digital uh, base during COVID um, for obvious reasons. And did, did it help from a data point of view that actually because you had so much of a transition very, very in a short space of time over to digital platforms that, in order to access those digital platforms, audiences maybe had to part with a little bit more data or different data than they had or they would for for an in-person event? Sure, it's an interesting one. I don't, I think it probably, I want to say hurt more than hindered. It didn't necessarily hurt in the sense mm -hmm. that we were capturing similar data points from a registration right. form point of view. Yeah, um, We did capture additional behavioral data points in terms of the sessions that people attended, but we always okay. use badge scanning at our event. So we had that data just in a different format. Yes. The reason I probably say hurt more than hindered is because the way we had to pivot, and as we were discussing kind of off air before we recorded, the, the changing mm. of the systems was quite disruptive. Because yeah. Yeah. obviously you're looking at a certain set of data from a certain system and then having to pivot from on-site to online, you're then switching to a different set of software and therefore the data you're collecting in is a slightly different format. Um, and that then meant that any kind of progress we were making, we then just had to adopt the data taxonomies and data values that we were collecting in a different system. Um, sure. Having said that, you know, as with any kind of lull, it did really impress upon the business the importance of looking at our data. I think, mm -hmm. you know, COVID changed a lot of things. And, and one of those was definitely looking more at digital body language, digital presence, how we're engaging our audience 365 rather than just, you know, meeting them once a year at an event and then sort of forgetting about them for the next nine months. We're really focusing on how can we improve that audience relationship, improve those client relationships, make sure that there are those digital touch points all year round. Yeah. Um, and that means our data's got to work harder. And it also means we have more data to capture, clean, validate, utilize. Um, so I think it it really did move us forward and push us forward in the evolution of how we're utilizing our data and technology because of those mm. challenges that we saw in COVID. How, do, how does the actual capture element uh, evolve and how regularly does it evolve? Because you know we've got experience of this through event tech live in terms of you know the registration point you want to ask enough questions that you've got some really useful data to be able to extract from it in terms of demographics where people are traveling from what sessions they might be interested but similarly you don't want to put people off the registration process by presenting them with something that could take ages you want to make it yeah. quick and easy but capture meaningful data so how often does that refine itself within your own organization is it an on you know something that is sort of almost a daily discussion i definitely think it's an ongoing conversation yeah we've um we've all been in the situation where we've had registration forms that are three pages long and you know you need the name of your firstborn child and everything and it seems massively excessive <laughs> yeah. for a 
for signing up to an event. But obviously it's all done with the fact that the more we know about the audience, the more we can tailor that content and the better experience we can provide. So it's coming from mm -hmm. a, a, a good place. Um, I think one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in terms of data capture for our audience is a shift away from demographics and more towards behavioral. So right. while demographics in the past have been in, really important in terms of segmentation and personalization, I would say that one of the lessons that I've definitely seen working with the data on a daily basis is that behavioral data is often far more useful than demographic. A good example of that is if anyone listening to this podcast um, is in the data on a day-to-day -day basis, the amount of Mickey Mouse, Superman lives in Gotham City that you see in the data because people can't be bothered to fill out a form properly <laughs> is um, every data person's worst nightmare. But behavioral data they can't lie. They've done, they've made the action. They've done that thing. So it's way more reliable when it comes to then how you utilize that. So for example, someone could have their job title as, I don't know, CEO of event tech. Let's use event tech as an example. And yes, they may be CEO of event tech, but they're actually reading a lot of content about mergers and acquisitions or the movers and shakers in the industry, who's going where. So clearly this person is way more interested in what's happening in the industry than necessarily um, what's the newest technology on the market. And that's way more interesting because if you're then trying to pitch an event to that person, you really want to be promoting the networking opportunities, the opportunity to see what your competitors are doing, the opportunity to stay at the cutting edge of what your peers may be doing, not what's the newest technology. Now on that form, the CEO probably in his head, quite rightly, or her head, you know, may say, oh, absolutely, I'm interested in you in emerging technology, but your behavior doesn't reflect that. So I think the way we're capturing data now is much more behavioral data capture rather than necessarily getting someone to fill out three pages of a form, which then by page three, they're just picking the first thing on the list because they just want to get through the form. I, I may well be, this may be possibly a stupid or ignorant question, but how do we capture behavioral data? Great question. I mean, we're we're very lucky at Informa in that we have an incredible um, data and technology team um, and we are able to capture first party data. So we have our own um, sort of tracking data um, across all our sort of websites um, and infrastructure, which really allows us to to capture that behavioral information and do a lot with it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that and, you know, you're you're relying on Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics or a third party, you can still glean so much insight from that. You know, you can be looking at what pages are getting the most hits. Where are those people coming from? What channels are they coming through? Um, I know, especially on Adobe Analytics, which we used to use in the past, there are so many custom tracking um, mm -hmm. points that you can create that then Adobe can can pull through. Not that I'm promoting Adobe here. No, but, but yeah, it's, 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 always, it's always useful for, um, for people to listening to this. I know that we get people who who, who ask us, you know, for, for recommend, not necessarily for recommendations, but people listen to this. I know for a fact we'll always want to know what platforms and what tools other organizers are using. So it's always useful to use. And, and you know, we're, we're not endorsing anything on the podcast, but it's always useful to know what you, what, what, what people, what people are yeah. using. Yeah, but I mean, even your badge scans on site, you know, you're, you're seeing yeah. where people are going, who they're interacting with, if you are using badge scan software. Um, and I think that's really underutilized um, because sometimes it can be quite messy data. It needs a little bit of cleaning up to begin with. There needs to be a little bit of assimilation in terms of matching those badge scans to um, individual audience profiles that you have 
-hmm. And it does take a little bit of work. But I think the insights that you get from that in terms of planning your next event, utilizing that to engage that audience all year round, looking at how your event is shifting as well. I think we've definitely had examples in the past of seeing year on year, there's a move from one sort of audience area of interest that you assumed is sort of the main area of interest. And then mm. looking at the data over time, you can see there's an evolution towards a different area of interest as the industry evolves. And sometimes you miss that if you've got focus groups or, um, or, you know, you're just kind of doing the same thing year after year, you miss the boat on that trend. And I think utilizing behavioral data really helps you evolve your event to make sure that you're consistently meeting what your exhibitors and your, your audience are looking for. Um, mm. So there's multiple ways to capture behavioral data. You don't have to invest in sort of in-house tracking software like, like we do, which is obviously great. And we're uh, really lucky to be able to, to have that and a great team that supports it. But, you know, any kind of third party um, software, like I say, like GA or Adobe or even your badge scan data, any of that is useful. Um, it's just making sure that you've got the time and the expertise to be able to clean it and make it usable for you. Uh, are you able um, and, and uh, to, to actually, so looking at the badge scanning, for example, um, yeah. take a track an individual, I suppose, geographically through a show floor. So actually map what their route was and what their progress was. Because if, if they visit, you know, 20 exhibitors, for example, at a trade show, then there'll be some sort of timestamp on any badge scanning that took a place. Are you able to actually map individuals and perhaps see what people's behaviour was physically within a show floor um, and make adaptations to, to suit? I'd say in theory, absolutely. I would say that we never really look at an individual, um, mm -hmm. but we would potentially look at a heat map, for example. So, I think one of the most interesting things that came out is that if you said to an exhibitor, oh, we've got you a stand by the bathroom, they'd be a bit like, oh, oh I don't want to be by the, the bathroom. That's an awful yeah, place yeah. to be. You know, I want to be in the center of the show floor. Actually, everyone needs the bathroom. They're going to be walking past your stand two or three times while they're there. Um, yeah. And, you know, the heat map shows that. So, you know, you've got fair enough. Get them on the way out, not on the way in. They won't want to talk to you on the way in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's that foot flow that's there. Yeah you're right in the center of the show floor. We've all been to a show, you get lost. You know, it's a maze of, of stands and theaters and people when you're in the center, but you'll buy the food, buy the bathroom, buy the key theater, which obviously everyone already knows is a, a key yeah. hotspot. That's where that badge scanning and that uh, sort of audience journey flow can be really utilized. Mm. Similarly, if you're looking at how you're setting out an event as well, that badge scan data being incredibly useful. So looking at is there a theme or a trend around where certain groups coalesce? So if you can match your badge scan data to an individual or group of individuals and get things like job title, job function, industry, and you can say, oh, that's interesting. Industry A seems to coalesce a lot around mm these kinds of exhibitors, maybe we should create a pavilion for that. And then, you know, promote the fact sure, that if yeah. you're in this industry or this job function or this seniority, this is your area where your peers are. And it might be then you put a theatre there that caters to that. Or, you know, there's a an industry roundtable event that happens in the room near those stands. You know, that's the kind of thing you can start plotting out once you, once you have that physical movement um, mm. data. But I, I guess it all... all boils back to 
extracting the, the meaningful elements of the, of the data yeah. um and it's it's okay in theory me asking these questions and you saying yes and well this is what we can do but when you're presented with a huge heap of data actually being able to extract the information that's required to do some of the things that you've just mentioned as examples um can can that's the challenge, I guess, for a lot of people is that they've got the data there, but how do they actually deploy it? How do they use it? You know, are, are there, is it is it just a case of putting in the man hours or are there tools that you guys use to actually maybe bring in data from multiple sources to, to bring them into one, I suppose, screen or, or something that people can look at that extracts what they actually need to see? Yeah, I think I think there's two things there. I think, first of all, from the practical point of view of getting that data, it does take man hours to clean that up and to have mm -hmm. that in a format that is is usable and can be pulled through onto a dashboard, be that Power BI, Tableau, you know, whatever you're using. Um, so that that will take some man hours and some expertise. And if you don't have that in-house, it's probably a worthwhile investment to get yourself a good data analyst or a good data modeling scientist or something like that that can do that sure. for the events. I would say, though, that there's another element from this, which is culture, which is really what I'm focused on right now. So um, I think one of my biggest bugbears, maybe, is a negative way of putting it, is people expect dashboards to tell them the answer. Yeah, I'm a massive advocate of dashboards getting you to ask a question. So when yeah. I was in my analyst role back in the day, people would ask me for, you know, can I have an Excel spreadsheet of every audience member that did this? And my question to them would be, why? Why do you want that? Why do you want 10,000 rows of, of data? What, what possibly are you going to use this for? Are you going to go through and, and count individually the people that you want? What's the question you're trying to answer? And let's say it'd be something like, uh, we want to see the proportion of this audience segment versus that audience segment. Okay, I can put that into a dashboard for you. That'll be way easier than you having to go through manually, you know, a thousand yeah. lines of data. So I give them the dashboard. Okay, so we know that 70% is audience A and 30% is audience B. Use that to ask more questions. Don't just go, oh, great, we know that now, and then go about your your day to day. It's like, okay, well, what can we glean from this? What is it about that 70%? Do you want to grow that 70%? Do you want to grow the 30%? What is it about that 30% that makes it different from their peer group? What is it that they're looking at that maybe their peer group aren't? Where are the evolution opportunities? So dashboards should never be the beginning and an end of your your data questioning or your sure. um, data deep dive they should definitely get you to ask more questions but then i think arguably the hardest part is changing the culture within your organization to make people feel like they can ask those questions or want to ask those questions or have the dialogue to be able to ask those questions so that's a big part of what we're doing now is trying to upskill our teams and this is everyone marketing editorial product sales you know across the the whole all the functions that work on an event mm -hmm. are you working in a way that means you can ask intelligent questions of the data that you're now presented with and i actually think that that's the hardest step like i say you can get someone in to do your data modeling and data cleansing for you you can get someone in to build a dashboard um, and try and answer those initial questions that you have but to build a culture that is asking intelligent questions of the data, which is really going to make the difference between having the data and going, oh, that's nice, and actually using that data yeah. to improve your event. That is the biggest step. Um, 
because humans are, are messy. Excel spreadsheets are, are black and white. They pretty much tell you what you need to know. So do dashboards. And, yeah, you know, humans have their own motivations and pains, gains and jobs to be done. So It's an interesting, interesting way of looking at it because, you know, as you've quite rightly pointed out, uh, you know, on, on reflection, we the expectation is that data is going to give us answers where what you've actually just said is good data actually should prompt more questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is a completely a complete 180 on how a lot of people think about data. Like I said they look at it and think, oh, it's going to be a silver bullet to either demonstrate how successful the event was, or but but you know, if we are looking to evolve, which every there's no event organizer I think that, that you could speak to, big, small, medium size, whoever they are, that wouldn't say that they want to evolve their event and improve it somehow every year or every month, whenever, however, however frequently it runs. So um, the idea of using data to prompt questions rather than present us with answers is, is in some respects, a completely different take than the, the, than the ones that we've had on the podcast before when we've had this data discussion. Um, and interestingly, I scribbled down while you were saying that, something that, again, has been discussed either sometimes loosely, sometimes in a bit more detail, but it seems to be hit and miss in the events industry about standardization mm. or anything that can be done to, to standardize data. And there are some really sort of just simple examples that I've come across before where we've worked with different providers and different data sources where you get an Excel, the classic Excel, Excel spreadsheet export from a platform. Yeah. And a column is called phone number. But then another platform will call it contact number. Yeah. Uh, and another one will call it phone contact. And they might call it email address as their column header. And another platform will call it email. Yeah. And then it, it becomes really difficult to get those different sort of data sources to talk to each other and to merge them together because they've all used different headings and, and something as simple as that. Is, is, there a, is there a meaningful case now for some sort of standardization or for tech providers from your perspective, to maybe get together and just do a little bit more joined up thinking to make the, the, the job that you do and other and peers in the industry do? Yeah, well, I mean, this actually touches on, um, I did I did have a, a little bit of time away from Informer. I'm what Informer called a boomerang kid in that I came back. But um, <laughs> the year that I was away, um, I was head of data management for a different event. It was more of a conference company than an events company. And I think sure. so often people focus on the data science and the technology part of their organization. So how are we modeling the data? What technology are we using? There is a huge gulf of organizations that have a data management lead. And I think that that's very telling. So data management, when I was in that role, not only incorporated things like standardization, like taxonomy, data usage, mm -hmm. but it also um, at the time covered compliance and protection as well. Um, because one thing that data standardization is incredibly important for is making sure you're managing consent correctly. Because if yeah. you're using many different systems and many types of data input, if you're not correct, if you're not collecting consent in a consistent way, that makes your life very difficult when it comes to remaining compliant um, and looking at legalities of things. So um, I think getting or either identifying someone in your organization that can take on that data management role or working with a third party or company that can provide that data management software technology. There's loads on the market. That's incredibly important. I think one of the first things we did when we went through the first stage of data transformation is create a taxonomy. Mm. And we're then able to map 
the various different data inputs to that agreed standardized taxonomy. So you need to build that structure before you start um, bringing that data in. You need to be, what are we going to call email? Are we going to call it email? Excellent. Make sure every technology that we onboard, the API signal takes it from email address field and we convert that to email in our in our data warehouse or data lake, wherever it is you're storing your data. Um, so I think don't underestimate the importance of having a data management function within your business or within your team. Mm. The glamorous side, the data science side and the technology side, that's great. You absolutely need that as well. But if you haven't got that foundation, it's like you're, it's like you're painting your house before you've even built it. It's a waste of time. So interesting. And again, I don't know if, if, if you, you will know the answer to this, but a company the size of Informa, in an ideal world, I'm guessing you would you would want to use the same p- registration providers, etc., right across the group. Is that something that, generally speaking, happens, or do individual shows have a level of autonomy as to which sort of suppliers they're going to use, and how complicated does that make the processes that you have to then um, go through? So, in answer to your question, first of all, we do not use the same registration provider across all right. our events. That would be the holy grail, but we don't. But I think one of the massive benefits of, of working at Informer and, and being part of Informer is that there is autonomy given to the various events and divisions that we have. And I think that's a fantastic thing about Informer is that there is that autonomy, because I think if it, if it wasn't like that, our events wouldn't have the personality that they have. Sure. And it's important that each event has its own personality. So it is a challenge. I think, again, we're extremely lucky to have a centralised um data and technology team as part of Informa now that's kind of evolved over the past four or five years. Um, We utilize a data lake. So that allows us to bring in any data in any format. And then the sort of data management piece and the standardization is done within that lake. So that means we have a lot more flexibility when it comes to integrating various systems Having said that, the hard work has to happen somewhere, um, and that then happens when it comes to mapping the data that's being pulled into the data lake into our standardised taxonomy. Mm-hmm. But we have a fantastic team that, that do that for us, and we have a very robust um, discovery piece that happens every time that we onboard either a new market or there's a new um, platform that we have to integrate. So sure. we have that mechanism in in place. I think depending on the size of your organization um, would depend on kind of the the methods that you put in place to input, transform, and then obviously share that data. So obviously the benefits of a data lake is that you can bring in data in any format. It doesn't have to be pre-standardized. The Again, you'll, you'll learn, I love an analogy. So the analogy I use mm-hmm. is, is if you had an old sofa and you were trying to get rid of it, if you had a data lake, imagine it like a normal lake. You just fly tip it into the lake. You just chuck it in and walk away. I'm not obviously advocating that you do that for environmental Absolutely, reasons, yes, it's yes. That, you know, you can just chuck it in in any, any, any way you want. The whole sofa, in it goes. If you've got a data warehouse, you've got to take the sofa apart. The fabric goes somewhere, the springs go somewhere, the pillows go somewhere, the stuffing goes somewhere else. You've got to find that shelf, make sure it's put on that shelf correctly, make sure it's organized. So it's a lot harder to throw away that sofa. And that's what yeah, a data yeah, warehouse yeah. has to be structured in a certain way before it can then be utilized. The benefit of a data lake is you can chuck the whole thing in and the hard work is done by the team that 
that manage the data in that lake. Now, obviously, you do need that team. That organization has to happen somewhere. Sure, yeah. But from an integration point of view, it just means that you're a lot more flexible in the systems that you can bring in. You don't have to do that that pre-work. Mm. So um, I think it's just really important that when you're thinking about how you're going to be integrating the data and how you're then going to be structuring it, where is that data going? What platform, what what data source you're using to, to manage that data? And then that will help, help you understand whether you need to standardize your inputs because yep. you're happy with the data warehouse and you want it organized from day one. Or if you'd like to be more flexible in your data inputs, then maybe go down the data lake route rather than the data warehouse route. All interesting. And it's led me on an ever so slight digression, just listening to there, <laughs> is, to, is to ask a question about people. And given everything that we've talked about in today's podcast, and given the, 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 the time that you've worked in and around the industry, starting with marketing up to now, have you seen a shift in the type of people that are coming into the industry because of the amount of data? So where in the past people who, you know, specialist data analysts and, you know, maybe go into banking or finance, you know, industries with traditional, you know, figures and, and data to look at, has the uh, increase in data in the events industry led to people with a different skill set actually coming into companies like Informa because of these roles that are now required in analysing and and developing and maintaining the data. Absolutely, and I think I think that that has a twofold impact actually. So we've definitely seen a massive growth in the amount of people that we have in the organisation now that's solely focused on data and technology, and that's amazing, right? Because we now have an incredible engine powering yeah. powering Informa. Powering the One Ferrari. The biggest, powering the Ferrari, exactly. Yeah, we're a full-on V8 now. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the things that I'm a massive advocate for is while it's amazing and fantastic that we have all these people joining the organization, one of the biggest things that I advocate for when I have new starters is go to an event, be part of an yeah. event cycle, go and sit with the team. Because actually, while it's amazing having all these new skills and expertise coming into the organization, as I mentioned right at the start of this podcast, if you don't have the empathy with what the teams on the ground are going through, you can't do your best job for them. So if you're, you know, for example, wanting to standardize the hell out of a form, like, great, from a data point of view, that's best practice, like, go right ahead. But if you join that team and that team's like, yes, but this question is important for this specific niche industry, mm -hmm. and this is why it has to be that way. And if we don't have that information... We can't cater to this client's needs. If you don't have that understanding, it's very easy to make sweeping statements or sweeping decisions across what is a very niche and um, I wouldn't say fragmented, but because we serve so many industries at Informa, it, it is genuine. There's so much autonomy and difference between the teams. We can't make those sweeping generalizations. And if yeah. you haven't been on site, seen it, understood why we're using that data, what we're using it for. You're missing a huge part of the puzzle when it comes to making those data decisions in the back end in terms of how we're structuring our data. So one of the biggest kind of um, things I always say to any kind of new starter coming into the data or technology area is go to an event, see it, be a part of it, volunteer at it, just be there and see it because that will really then help you make the proper decisions that you need to make in the back end. Um, 
but I'd also the thing say I would, the thing that I would add to that is that yeah. it's really really difficult once you get to that level once you get to that stage of actually being able to change or or, or change or manipulate anything on site mm. it, it, you know it, it, you know that data is brilliant up until probably you know a week maybe two, two weeks before the actual event itself but I've, I've seen examples before where you know you're actually on site and somebody says oh well last year x y and z happened it's too late to tell me that now because this yeah this this feature area is already built this theater is already under construction you know stuff's already been put in in certain areas you know once once you get on site and, and you get on an event if you haven't been on one before um as you said it's a, it, it's a it's a it can be a car crash experience for people who've never been in that environment before to realize just but then how think sort of about fast the impact you can make for the following year though exactly that's the big exactly. thing it's like go in with an open mind know this is your baseline and then look at how you can improve it but i would say on the flip side as well just to kind of finish off if you're already working in the events industry and you're seeing that there is a move towards more data and technology what i also and i, I take this as a bit of a personal mission as part of the work that i'm doing now is we're upskilling our events industry okay, yeah. people yeah, yeah. for the future right if you're a marketer and you're not making data-driven decisions that's the future of the marketing industry especially in events you need to be learning those skills if you're in editorial and you're not using behavioral data to inform what you're writing on a on a daily weekly monthly basis you're not taking your audience needs into account that's going to be something you need to learn for the future of your career so while it's important to get new ideas and different people from a data and technology standpoint into the business it's also incredibly important to nurture the talent you have and set them up for success so that they can move yeah. forward with the business because i think like i say that is the main kind of thing that i'm focusing on now is we've we've got all those foundational pieces in place how are we helping our colleagues at informer utilize this and it'll benefit them in the future it's going to help future proof them as well so I think it goes two ways when it comes to the skills that we're bringing into the business and nurturing within the business. Absolutely. And um, it, it's been uh, a fascinating and uh, great way to kick off our 2024 podcast recordings and our first episode of the year and with Emily Clark, Head of Audience Development at Informer Tech. Um, Emily, I appreciate sort of running a little bit beyond our normal time today because th there's been, I say loads to get through. It doesn't, seem like we've really even scratched the surface and yet 40 minutes of today's podcast has, has flown past um so yeah i really appreciate it thanks for taking the time on you know the first week back as well after the christmas break when everybody's sort of slowly just grinding back into the uh into things and one thing that i sort of forgot to say at the start of the of the episode today is that really january is a, a great time i think to be having this discussion a lot of people will be coming back from the christmas break with a a new year you know events either on the horizon or you know it, it, january often represents a time where people really do sit down and look at information look at data look at planning what are we going to do this year and so i think it's a really apt time to have had this discussion and to put this podcast out quickly in january whilst people are probably looking at a lot of historical data and what did they do last year and what can we do this year um so i think yeah a, a very um very apropos of what a lot of people will be doing at this time of year um if anybody wants to get in touch with you emily uh, presumably they can find you on linkedin if they want to connect 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, I've got a very generic name, um, but I'm sure if you type in <laughs> Emily Clark Informer, I'll I'll be up at the top. But yeah, more than happy to answer any questions, have a chat with anyone that wants to carry on this conversation. I think the more airtime we can give to it, the more, as we said at the beginning, data is not often the most glamorous part of events organizing, but we are trying to bring it more to the forefront. So yeah, more than happy to have that Absolutely. conversation. And it, and it impacts everybody. Don't 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 switch off because you hear the word data. It impacts every single person, regardless of your your role within the events industry. Now everybody relies on it. Um, and our thanks again to Emily for joining us today. Before we wrap up today's episode, just a reminder to make sure that you go over and uh, visit eventindustrynews.com if you're listening to the, to today's podcast via your podcast platform. Eventindustrynews.com is where you will find the latest news feature special supplements, everything related to all the different marketplaces and verticals within the events industry, as well as, of course, the A to Z supplier directory. If you're looking for a product or a service within the events industry, the chances are you will find it within the event industry news.com A to Z supplier directory. Of course, you can also on the website, check out video versions of all of our podcasts. If you are there already, thanks very much for tuning in today and watching this. Please don't forget to go over to wherever you get your audio podcasts from and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you get informed of all of the latest episodes as they drop once a week, which brings us neatly and nicely to the end of today's episode. Our thanks once again to Emily Clark from Informer for joining us today, and we will see you on the next edition of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks. Bye.